This program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Bad Priest, Episode 12, Scratch. When Murzoth was separating from me and trying to possess Diego, the demon appeared as a gigantic, watery form, like an apparition of sorts. Being the noob that I am, I took this as evidence that the demon could only touch me in the, uh, astral projection sense. But I quickly learned that like most things in my life, I'm completely wrong about that too. At first, the piece of shit gremlin thing coming out of the stripper was like that. A ghastly, semi-transparent figure. But as I thrust the anal beads towards the demon like some sort of demented sexual offering, something happens. The creature's hand appears to gain substance. It starts with those yellow talons, but as I watch, completely mesmerized, it spreads to its fingers and then hand revealing a texture like snake scales. Murzoth? For fuck's sake, Murzoth! A hand lashes out and finally makes contact with me. I expect to feel a pressure between my ears, something similar to when Murzoth raped my brain, but again, I'm wrong. You'd think that by this point in the story, I'd be very used to being wrong. Now you're the one who's wrong. The demon's talon grazes my cheek, the nail looks yellow and crusty, but it's also incredibly sharp. I pull my head back, but it's almost as if the now solid demon is drawing me to it, instead of the other way around, as if it has its own strange gravity. Fucking Murzoth! Help me! The nail digs deeper into my flesh, and blood begins to drip down my cheek. With my free hand, I reach into the back of my jeans and pull out my father's gun. My entire world is shaking now, as if I've just popped acid and decided to go on the most epic whirly ride at one of those absolutely unsafe pop-up carnivals. It's like I'm moving through quicksand as I fight to bring the gun to the stripper's head. Not the demons, because I can still see through that, but the girl in the black lingerie. As the nail digs deeper still, I feel a searing pain and I start to squeeze the trigger. Murzoth, don't make me do this. Fucking priest. I hear the heartbeat and my vision narrows as Murzoth takes over. It's a disorienting and uncomfortable sensation, watching my body move and react without my input. The gun clatters to the ground and Murzoth grabs the demon's wrist and twists it backwards. The sound that comes out of the girl's mouth can only be described as unholy. which is saying something, considering the woman's chosen profession. Murzoth stares directly into the stripper's eyes, and as hard as she tries, the gremlin demon can't look away. And then I say something. Well, the word comes out of my mouth, but I've never heard it before. I'm not even sure it's English. To be honest, it sounds like a foreign color. The problem is that the male knowledge of colors ends at those listed in the rainbow, so I can't be sure. Cerulean? Maybe. Only it wasn't really Cerulean because there are some G's in there that are both silent but somehow still audible. Once again, the stripper moans, 
and Murzov finally lets go of her wrist. Her arm falls limply to her side, and then Murzov thrusts the anal beads forward. The struggle is over. Evidently, the word that Murzoth uttered had broken the demon. In a whirl of cold smoke, the demon pulls completely free of the stripper, swirls around, and then is sucked into the first of eight anal beads with a profoundly appropriate popping noise. The bead, which had been black with gray marbling, is now alive. There's movement in the smoky pattern, and every few seconds a skull rises to the surface. And then, to my horror, I bring this bead to my mouth and snake my tongue across the smooth surface. Thank Christ these things are new. Wanting to regain control, I push upward as I had last time. I feel the ice divider between our two consciousnesses, but it doesn't provide much resistance. Murzoth is letting me take over again. Fuck. The music is loud and obnoxious, and I touch my cheek, feeling the wound, the blood, as I look down at the stripper. She slumped on the floor, leaning against the table, her eyes closed. I bring two fingers of my right hand to her throat and feel a faint pulse. Hey, get up! Wake up! Her eyes remain closed. What's wrong with her? It's a rhetorical question, but apparently they don't teach rhetoric in hell. The demon's been in here for too long. I back toward the door. Is she ever going to wake up? Don't know. It feeds off her soul, and when there's nothing left, well, there's nothing left. Fuck. Right now? Shut up, I'm trying to think. The girl's good wrist is still bound to the table with the pink handcuff, but the other is definitely broken. I know deep down that I helped this girl, but I also know how this looks. Lest we forget, I've already choked Davy Scump, and I'm on parole for kidnapping a girl and bringing her to this very place. Denise's. Oh, I'm drunk. There's coke still in my system from Murzoth's escapades, and pretty much everyone who comes to Denise's is a felon. I examine the blood on my fingers. That's not good either. Thinking fast, I unhook the handcuff, then pick up the woman and put her on the couch. Now she's sitting with her legs slightly splayed, and one of her breasts has come out of her bra. You could fuck her. I won't tell. I frown and hold the anal bead with the demon trapped inside up to the light. And I could put you in one of these and loan them to a 300-pound long-haul trucker to use as he sees fit. Murzoth is suspiciously quiet. Even he has limits, it appears. I open the door and glance out. If anybody had heard the commotion, they'd either ignored it or were too scared to react. And I don't see Davy Scump anywhere. This is my chance. I try to shove the anal beads into my pocket, but they're too large and hang out awkwardly. I know I must look like an insane person. Hell, I feel like an insane person. But I also know that I have to get the fuck out of here. Ending up back in jail won't do Amy any good. And I'm still determined to save her. Head low, I walk to the front door. Now, people are staring. Just keep moving, keep moving, Cole. Keep it natural. Nope. I break into a sprint and then burst into the sun. As per our plan, ha, plan, good one. Diego is waiting with his car idling out front. His window is down and he stares at me, his eyes as big as silver dollars. What happened to your face, Cole? Is everything all right? 
Diego's gaze drifts to the anal beads spilling out of my pocket. If his eyes could grow bigger, they would have. I'm fine, just drive. As we pull out of the parking lot, with only slightly less haste than the last time we were at Denise's, I spark a cigarette. After a while, Diego speaks up. <clears throat> Where are we going? I exhale loudly and shut my eyes, trying not to think about Mirzoth or demons trapped in anal beads. Instead, I focus my attention on what Davy Scump told me when Mirzoth strangled him. Ah, there it is. More thoughts about demons. They're like the worst kind of splinter. Once you know it's there, it's literally impossible to ignore. New York City. Davy said that Amy's in New York City, so that's where we're going, Diego. The Big Apple, here we come. I've been to New York City once before, when I was a much younger lad. It was hot, smelly, and the people, well, they were twisted and demonic. But the place I find myself in now, this is literal hell. I'm back. Satan, please make sure my frequent flyer miles are updated accordingly. I'm staring at the spire, the trident, the mutilated bodies. I'm up to my ankles in a river of blood, and that goddamn demon is birthing those things by the truckload. One of these newborn delights, a hideous demon with a long tongue and leathery wings, flies over to me. I can't move. I want to run, I want to scream, but I'm frozen with fright, and I'm stuck in a semi-coagulated plasma. One of the demon's hands, which is freakishly thin and covered in what I can only assume to be Vernix Cassiosa, touches my shoulder. Now I scream. Ah! It's okay, it's okay, it's only me. I blink three times and my vision clears. Diego's leaning over me, bloody gauze in his hand. I push myself backward, still breathing heavily, and look around. Where am I? Where the fuck am I? It's okay, Father Bannon. You're at my place. I didn't want to go back to your apartment because I thought maybe they'd be looking for you there. They, as in the police. If the girl didn't wake up and tell them what I'd done, which honestly I hope she had, Davy Scump sure would. Mirzoth might have turned the juice monkey into a bitch, but that would pass, and when it did, Davy would be angry. So angry that he'd want to try and save face any way possible. We need to go to New York. Diego nods and balls up the gauze and tosses it into the waste bin. Shit, my beads! I try to get up, but Diego discourages me. I have them. Here. He grabs the anal beads from the counter near the sink. I waste no time in taking them from him. At first, I don't notice anything different. They all appear the same. Black with gray swirls inside. But then I see movement. In the very first bead, a skull slowly materializes, comes to the surface, and then vanishes. Thank God. And that's another first for me, thanking the Lord that I hadn't lost my possessed anal beads. Are you going to tell my me- My gun! That Diego can't produce, because it isn't here. I dropped it back at Denise's. Oh well, not like it did me any good anyway. Shit, I almost killed the girl with it. I grunt and stand. We have to go to New York City. They'll find us here. What about your parole officer? I shrug. What about him? Remember when I said I only got eight years for, quote, kidnapping Amy? Well, that wasn't 100% true. 
What I actually received was 8 to 15 years, but I was granted parole on my very first try. Whoopee. And with my parole comes various conditions. 1. I cannot consume alcohol. Oops. 2. I cannot associate with known felons. Thanks, Davy Scump. Double oops. 3. I cannot consume any illicit drugs. Oops again. I must also maintain stable employment. Nope. I can't leave the state. Ah, that's the one. <laughs> I find it amusing that this, of everything I've done, is what Diego is most concerned about. Fuck parole. Fuck everything. Fuck everyone. This world is fucked. Ooh, I like that. There he is. And this time, I'm glad Murzoth is back, because I have a lot of questions for the beast. Hey, Diego, do you have anything to drink? Please, my face hurts. Diego hesitates, but he eventually leaves me alone in the bathroom. When he's gone, I stare again at the anal bead. The skull repeatedly appears and disappears as I watch. Cerulean. I try to remember the sounds that Murzoth made with my mouth when he called out the demon, but I just can't nail it. Ceruglian. Ceruglian. The word just appears inside my mind. What the fuck does that mean? It's the demon's name. I stiffen, but continue the conversation inside my head. How did you know its name? Murzoth takes his sweet-ass time before answering. I knew him. What? So many questions race through my mind that Murzoth can't keep up. To his credit, he tries his best. Shrugling was a piece of shit in hell. Nobody liked him. That's why he came here. What do you mean? I mean, nobody fucking liked the demon. But how did you know it was him? I saw him for fuck's sake. Little gremlin head and pointy fingers. Fuck, you've got some stupid dumbass questions. You know that, Father Batman? I'm just trying to... Sorry, no Johnny Red, but... In Diego's hand is a bottle of vodka. One I've never seen before. He hands it over and I take a long swig. The rubbing alcohol Diego used to clean my face probably tastes better than this swill. But you know the old saying, the worse something tastes, the better it works. Hell, Buckley's designed an entire company around this idea. You really think Amy and her dad are in New York City? I picture the fear I'd seen on Davy's face. I'm sure. I take another sip of vodka. It's terrible, but I force it down anyway. And then I stop. Something occurs to me. Something I hadn't thought of before. On the two occasions that Murzoth was able to take over, really take over, I was wasted. And when Diego had nearly been possessed himself, he'd been drinking too. I lower the bottle. All of a sudden, I'm not as thirsty as I was moments ago. Listen, if we're going to be stuck together, if we're going to work together, we need to have a little chat, lay some ground rules. Father? I don't answer, Diego. I just shake my head suddenly and stare at my reflection in the mirror. My eyes flicker, and I see my brown irises being replaced by a deep crimson color, reminding me of when I'd been transfixed by Murzoth's eyes and transported to hell. Ground rules, yes. But first, Father Brandon, I need to feed. Because if I don't feed, things are going to get really messy.
This has been Bad Priest, Episode 12, a PTL Books and Pathological Inc. production. Written, produced, mixed, and narrated by Patrick Logan. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. You can also visit us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash badpriestpodcast. Thank <laughs> you.